This is the Growmart Podcast. We do have, um, I guess, an overall goal of investing in the vitality of agriculture. Highlighting topics in the Growmark system. We need to be able to translate that into elected leaders' minds because each of them have different backgrounds. Featuring agricultural industry experts. Without pollination, our business doesn't exist. Now here's your host, Matt Wetterston. Hello and welcome to the Growmark Podcast. We've got Chuck Spencer, Growmark's Executive Director of Government Relations, in with us today. Chuck, we appreciate your time. First, before we get into some of the issues uh, at the federal and state level, first talk about what you and, and your team in government relations here at Growmark do. Government relations at Growmark considers our entire system and all business units and then our interaction with public policy and regulatory environments. So in other words, how are we interacting with public policy issues that may come up in either a general assembly in the in the nation's, nation's capital, provincial capitals, or uh, in, in the state assemblies as well? And then what are we going to do to represent not only the way our cooperative does business and our interests, which is a direct reflection of farmers who sit on the board and govern our member cooperatives and Growmark as a cooperative as well. Take all those things into consideration. What really boils down to what I feel is a, is a true representation of agriculture. What's best for agriculture? What's best for the balance between regulation and voluntary action, freedom of choice, the ability to innovate? There's balances within all of those venues and particularly the questions that we're faced with, whether it comes from water quality, uh, registration of pest control products, what we're doing as far as productivity and sustainability. There's all kinds of examples within just those small examples I've given you of how we can uh, approach issues. And hopefully what we'll be able to do is bring our perspective and science to the table helping people make the best decisions possible that strike a balance between all those demands. We'll get into the, the state uh, issues first, but let's start at the, the federal level with DPAD. What exactly is DPAD? Give us a little background around that, because I know there's a lot of discussion about that right now. It's a wonderful acronym, <laughs> and we use it quite frequently. But what it stands for is the Domestic Production Activities Deduction. And it was a product of the 2004 American Jobs Creation Act. At that point in time in 2004, there was interest in the national level uh, capital to increase and stimulate job creation across this country. And it focused on manufacturing. Now, agriculture, you may think of production agriculture, but it, under this provision qualifies as a manufacturing entity. And I think many of us involved in production agriculture could understand that. And what it also applies to then is the domestic production activities deduction. It is a deduction from the income that an individual or a cooperative would earn. Now that calculation also involves though a percentage of payroll from employees. Now we know that most farms across this country are family or sole proprietors and very few employees are parts of those operations. The ones that do have employees, they could file for that deduction. But what it is perfectly suited for is cooperatives and agricultural cooperatives. When we look at the ability to uh, pass this deduction on to the farmer, it is one that is of extremely high value. In fact, 
as cooperatives across the country have calculated, it's nearly $2 billion of earned deductions in which we're able to help stimulate job creation across the country. And if you think of agricultural cooperatives, we're involved in job creation in rural areas. We need to have this focus of rural America, stimulating the economy, supporting our communities, providing wonderful jobs and benefits to the workers in these communities to keep them vibrant. And that's a focus of ours and certainly a focus of farmers in general. I think you've talked about it a little bit, but what is Gromark's position on DPAD? Um, and what are you and your team doing specifically um, as you work with legislators to express uh, Gromark's position? Oh, our position is wholly in support of it. It's actually also known as Section 199 of the Internal Revenue Service Code. Now, the reason it's come up, Matt, is because in tax reform, which is on the front burner right now, we've seen in the Senate they have produced a budget resolution which sets the boundaries for what the tax spending would be under any type of tax reform. The House of Representatives is the originating chamber of any tax bill. And we've seen the Speaker of the House, as well as leaders on the Ways and Means Committee, make a clear statement that we will have tax reform on the House floor by Thanksgiving. And it appears that they're going to introduce language by November 1st and then have a committee markup shortly after that the following week. That means that they're sticking to this schedule. One of the provisions in the Unified Framework for Tax Reform on page 8 is a provision that says with the lower corporate income tax rates, we would no longer need provisions like Section 199, DPAD. They retain two provisions for manufacturers, research and development tax credit and also low-income housing tax credit. We're saying for agriculture, there's a third provision that needs to be added to those keeps, and that is the Section 199 Domestic Production Activities Deduction, which cooperatives can file for uh, and, and then receive and we passed almost all of it on to the farmer member owner of a cooperative. They will utilize that deduction against their income, paying a lower overall tax. And that's important to be recognized because if there's going to be tax rate reductions, agriculture will not qualify for many of those tax rate reductions. But they do when they use DPAD. And that's why it's important for us to see this provision retained. Because if we don't retain it, it could be very likely that agriculture may see a tax increase in any reform, and that goes counter to the very principle in which they're trying to provide relief to middle-class America across this country. So if people at Gromark or FS companies or anyone really within the FS system are listening to this, what is your call to action um, that you're recommending that they do to, to make sure their voice is heard um, with uh, legislators? We have sent out an action request that is available for anyone to click on. And... What we're requesting is, is that they send a very clear message to their member of the U.S. House of Representatives and that we want to retain Section 199, the Domestic Production Activities Reduction. It is a stimulator for economic activity at the local level and on my farm. And that's a simple message to provide in there that we want to retain that in any type of tax reform that Congress should pass. They've got to hear that from the individual constituents. We've been making visits. Matt, we've been able to visit with a National Economic Policy Advisor to the President in the White House. We've been able to meet with the Speaker of the House, the Ways and Means Committee Chairman, Chairman on Tax Policy, and members of the Ways and Means Committee 
that represent our system's territory. Now it's time for all members of Congress to hear from us across our territories. Talking with Chuck Spencer, Gromark's Executive Director of Government Relations. Chuck, just one or two more things on the federal level before we get to state issues. What about Farm Bill? Where do we stand uh, with that? And um, what are some of your, your thoughts on the Farm Bill? Well, Congress can multitask. They have a number of committees, and a lot of times it's reported that they're very focused on one thing. Uh, but what we know is, is that a number of congressional committees meet at the same time. There are floor votes that go on on so many issues during any given day of session. And one of the activities that's going on right now is farm bill advancement. The, the agriculture committees in both the House and Senate are working diligently to meet their deadline of having a farm bill passed before its expiration of 2018. Many of the chairmen have said they would like to see it at the first part of next year so good planning can occur. As we own our farm operations, right now we're buying seed already. There's people who are making plans for spring of 2018 based on a number of factors, including those that are rolling through their combine right now, making assessments on what hybrids we're able to yield, what was our growing conditions, how did I fertilize, and how did I use crop protectants this year. Those decisions for 2018 are being decided now, and so is policy measures on Farm Bill. One of them that's important is conservation practices. Matt, we've heard from so many people about concerns over water quality, activities in watersheds. We've got activities in every state we operate in where we're engaging with watersheds and water quality initiatives, for example, demonstration purposes and also actual implementation at the farmer level. We've got to make sure that the conservation title and conservation programs offered in the Farm Bill are voluntary incentive-based and allow farmers flexibility and innovation to deal with nutrient management strategies on their farms. I know you and your team spend a lot of time in, in a lot of states throughout the Midwest, throughout the East Coast, and um, really almost what seems like nationally. What are some of the um, key issues that, that you're seeing at the local level or, or the state level here? Each of the states have a nutrient loss reduction strategy that is stimulated by the U.S. EPA, Environmental Protection Agency, at the federal level. And it's focused on reducing the flow of nitrogen and phosphorus to water bodies off of our coasts. On the East Coast, it would be the Chesapeake Bay that's a major focus. In the southern region of our country, it would be the Gulf of Mexico. Now, the Mississippi River ends in the Gulf of Mexico, so all that water then is discharged out into that Gulf. Uh, that is a 38% watershed of the United States is drained through that Gulf of Mexico and Mississippi River watershed. So in our geographic area, when you look at agricultural production. That is the heartland of this country and the breadbasket of not only our country, but what I would contend is the world. And we know that crop production is vital for our nation's food security and so many people's food securities across the globe. What we also know is by 2025, there's going to be an initial assessment of nutrient loss reduction strategies and how agriculture is performing on meeting that objective of nitrogen uh, reduction into the watershed of 15% and 25% reduction overall of phosphorus in flowing water. That's going to be important for us to meet. We're making good advancements. We've got great stories to tell. We've got six growing seasons to 2025. <laughs> cool. Well, Chuck Spencer, Gromark Executive Director of Government Relations, we appreciate your time today. And for more on what the Gromark Government Relations team is doing, you can follow them on Twitter as well. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Gromark Podcast. 
New episodes are available in the morning on the first and third Wednesdays of each month. You can catch the Growmark podcast on Podbean or by using a supported podcast app in the App Store.